0: You know, everybody wants to belong. everybody wants to feel like they belong and they're they're accepted and at different points, we all join groups, uh, we cheer for teams, we uh, ascribe to different ideologies and viewpoints. we join religions and denominations uh, we uh dress certain ways, and speak certain ways, and uh, make various choices to try to belong. And um, I wonder why it just doesn't seem to work that often. And so this morning, when I, when I look at this passage, and I consider the, the context of, of what the writer, uh, a man named Paul, is, is dealing with in this letter to, to people who are trying to learn to belong together uh, despite a lot of differences, uh, socioeconomic differences, so big class differences, um, religious differences, cultural differences. He, he, he's writing this letter to, to help find unity amongst all these things in Christ. And, and, and when, I, when I think about that context, I wonder if there's, if there's hope for us here, and I think that there is, to find a greater unity within our church body, but also in this culture that we live in right now that's, that's so incredibly divided. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about this on, on a personal level, I think about how many movies this is the crux of, uh, this sense of of belonging to something and, and not too long ago i introduced my son to a classic film that some of you may have seen i'd like to, i'd like to know if you have in the uh in the comments uh the movie sandlot or maybe it's the sandlot uh it's a it's a movie about baseball but it, but it's really a movie about belonging this this little kid uh, his last name's smalls which is which is a metaphor for how he feels a lot of the time he moves into a new town and i think it's in like the 60s or so he moves in this new town and his dad died when he was young and he's got a stepdad and um he's trying to fit in in this neighborhood and they move in the summer so he's not in school uh and he he's trying to find kids to play with And, and all the kids that he knows they all play baseball and he doesn't he has no idea how to play baseball the only baseball cap he has has this ridiculously long bill i've never even seen a baseball cap like this in real life except for on like caricature drawings and he's got like a toy glove that's made out of plastic but he wants so bad to fit in and to belong with this new group of kids because he doesn't feel like he belongs at home with his stepdad and he's moved into this new town is to try to play baseball and to pretend like he he looks like he knows how to play baseball. He's like trying to hit his mitts and everything, and he goes out and he convinces the kids to let him play. And the fly ball comes to him and he tries to grab it. it, busts through his glove and hits him in the eye, and uh, all the kids laugh at him and it explodes his glove, and uh, and he runs away and he's crying, and um, but then. But then his neighbor, Benny Rodriguez comes to him, gives him a glove, says, Hey man, let's, let's try again. And he goes out there and he sets him up to be able to catch a fly ball. And he starts belonging to this, uh, this group of kids playing baseball. And it's a really touching story of friendship and belonging. And it, it was a great thing to get to share that memory with with my with my kids of, of seeing that film and all the fun with it. And uh, I wonder how many of us can remember a time or a situation where we felt that sense of belonging that Smalls eventually does with that group. Uh, if you think about it, if think if think hard about it, and as you think about it, you might actually realize that it's easier to think about all of the times where you didn't feel like you belong and all the ways you don't feel like you belong. At least that that's true of me and true of true of a lot of people that I know when they're when they're able to kind of face the the reality of of the situation that there seems to be a lot more times and spaces and places where I've felt like I don't quite belong or like I'm constantly trying to convince people that I do belong. But as I sat and thought about this, uh, there was a memory that came up from childhood for me when I was about 13 and had recently moved here to to, to Memphis. Actually, it was in Cordova. And I I really didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I belonged in my neighborhood. I didn't feel like I belonged in my school, sometimes not even in my family. And um, that's not to... Uh, say anything negative about my family. Just That's just how I felt. And one day I was walking along and I looked uh, towards this house that was several houses down from me. And as far as I knew, no kids lived there. But this, this hot summer day, I looked and I saw this kid named Chris Stark, uh, i later learned his name, uh, sitting in his open garage in a lawn chair holding a rifle BB gun in his lap. And uh, I was like, "What is this kid doing?" And turns out, uh, me and me and Chris, we became fast friends. His dad had moved uh, a few houses down from us, and he lived with his mom in Detroit most of the time, but during the summer, he had just started coming to stay with his dad. And there was something about Chris. Chris, he was um, he was, uh, I think, a year older than me and he was black, and a lot of my neighborhood was white, and he, he made me feel like I belonged in, in, in some ways that felt unique to me at the time. Like, he was aware, uh, he called me high yellow, he was aware of my skin color, and uh, he was aware of kind of the dynamic of me being a biracial kid, and yet he like fully embraced me, he taught me a lot of things about black culture, and i just i just felt like comfortable with him and uh you know years passed and things changed and we stopped seeing each other during summers something you know we, he stopped coming during the summers for one reason or another and we drifted apart and i felt that sense of belonging there but it but it didn't last can you relate to that can you relate to feeling that sense of belonging and and it feeling great but then it not lasting. And and that you you even tend to bring that sometimes into future relationships and and that memory of it, you 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 kind of make demands almost, maybe subconsciously, maybe passive aggressively, but to sort of force that sense of acceptance in, in, in other relationships. I know I've done that at different times. And um you know, at Christ City, we have a vision, and it's, it's an a- audacious vision. It's, 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 it's like almost on some level feels pie in the sky. I was talking to one of our leaders about this just this weekend, but um, our vision is a place to belong and a place to know God. And uh, this is just an incredible goal to shoot for. Uh, because it it's so difficult for us as human beings to belong, we we um, we bring so much hurt and baggage with us into all of our relationships, and we we're constantly looking for the solution to belonging, um, and we end up uh, trying to define ourselves by the things that. Um, We're different from or we want to be different from because those were the things that made us feel like we didn't belong for example um, a uh, Ascribing to a political party and not being able to think beyond that political party because You're so convinced that it gives you a sense of belonging or a particular view of um, American history or the scriptures or a particular you know bent on uh one denomination being correct and all and all the others being incorrect or or maybe atheism and being inflexible there but something to help solidify that you have this camp that you feel comfortable in that you actually belong in it would be nice if that worked though if if it left us not having to scan the rooms that we're in and scan the things that we hear and read to see if there's any trace of that other thing that we have become convinced is the source of our hurt, the source of us not belonging. See, there's, there's a sense that, uh, I know I, I struggle with it, That if the people around me or the organizations around me would just include me, if they would just accept me for who I am, then I would feel like I belonged. But I've found, and I think Paul has found as well, that it just doesn't work. That... You've, you never get so secure and so safe in whatever you have found that sense of belonging or whatever you have said, I've got to keep away from me because it takes away my sense of belonging. You never get to the point where it's done and it's settled and, it, and you're satisfied and you can stop trying or proving or you can let go of the anxiety of trying to control um, how people react or respond to you or the depression that comes when you realize you can't or the addictions that you have to escape into. uh, When you, um, you can't shake that sense that you're not okay, that you don't belong, that you're not loved for who you are. And that that takes us back into these scriptures. Um, when we when we look here at Paul's uh, scriptures here, part of his letter, um, and we look at the hope he's trying to communicate to his listeners, uh, we can find some some help here, thinking about a path forward, a, a way to To hope for a a deeper level of acceptance so in verse 12 he says therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live now uh, before before we start unpacking uh, these verses and we won't be able to unpack this whole passage in in limited amount of time we have here um, but but I want to say something about this terminology because Paul is using a dichotomy or two opposites that he's he's setting up for us to think about here he likes to use these opposites uh, in the book of Romans to to contrast things and he's using flesh and spirit uh, flesh being something we don't want and spirit being something we do want and there's there's a lot of reasons why he's using this this rhetorical device, this language that I don't want to I, I don't even want to try to get into right now, um, but I do want to say that um, these terms have been wielded irresponsibly uh, in in recent times and and, and throughout uh, Christianity to do some some harmful things. Most most recently, uh, some of the underpinning and underlying uh, kind of thought patterns that that this has created is a group of of Christians that uh, that think the we're not supposed to take care of the environment or that it's inconsequential, and that's a that's a gross misreading of this. And we still love those people, and um, they 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 can still be uh, they can still be Christians and they still belong. But um, that's that's a harmful reading of this. And another has been this kind of emphasis on the that that Christians are supposed to save souls and not worry about um, people's livelihoods, their living situations, and things like that. And and I, I don't think that that's at all what what Paul is doing here. And uh, as we unpack it, I think I think you'll agree. Um, But i just wanted to to say that as a disclaimer so when when we look here and he says we have this obligation but it's not to the flesh to live according to it uh, because you'll die if you do that but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live And, and you know another thing is it looks like again he's pitting two two groups against each other but i think um he what he's trying to do here is create a new category for thinking about uh, how human beings interact with each other in in, in a in a non-hierarchical way in a non like value ladder system here and he's he's trying to find the right words and w- what what is the unifying force in this passage is a jewish messiah named jesus who has died and in his death there is this mystical, uh, spiritual connection and liberation and salvation of people across cultural boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries. And Paul is saying, look, there is a way, there's a way to think about human relationships and human value and worth. And he's calling that way the flesh. And he's saying, in this way, you're all very familiar with it. All my all the, the listeners hearing this letter being read aloud uh, are familiar with this. And this, need I not remind you, it leads to death. You have already found that what Jesus has to offer is different. And it's better, and I'm just reminding you that this way of operating is not going to lead you to life. And that this other way, this way that is led by the spirit that isn't about human hierarchy, that is about belonging to something bigger and greater than what you can manufacture and control and manipulate yourself, this spirit this leads to life. And, you know, I can't help but think, hey man, this is, this is an incredibly contemporary word here that Paul has given us. It, it matters so much today for our, our comp- incredibly divided political environment, uh, what's going on uh, in our country and the things we're confronting around race and who we venerate in our country and um in in the pandemic and healthcare and who gets the healthcare and who's being disproportionately affected man this is a powerful and relevant word so this spirit is this life-giving unifying force in our world today and paul also says here in these verses that this is so important. This is a matter between life and death, with what you do with this Messiah, with what you do with this fleshly operation and this spiritual operation. And um, in verse 14, he moves on. He moves, He's created these new categories of flesh and spirit to help define, you know, the difference between the way the world categorizes people. And what it's like to be one in the Spirit and he goes on in verse 14 and he starts to give us more information about this and he said those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God and so uh, this is an incredibly helpful explanation and it would have been somewhat revolutionary depending on on what his listeners uh, knew of this type of distinction now the interesting thing about this, this letter to the Romans, it's called the, the Roman letter, is that the listeners were actually a mix of Jewish people and Gentiles, which meant uh, non-Jews. And uh, so the Jewish people would have been familiar with an idea of being called children of God. But, but also, under Roman authority, the people that were associated as children of God were the rulers, the emperors. You know, if you were to look at a statue of of Caesar Augustus or somebody like that, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, you might find uh, that there's other little figures around him that are really a visual representation of his connection to to divinity, that he was actually a child of God. And so Paul is not unaware of the language that he's using here, and he's going to use even more charged language as we move through this passage, that he's calling all these folks, um, which many of them uh, listening were probably slaves, that they are children of God. That is a huge elevation in thought and in thinking, and he's trying um, to bring it beyond that into action and how this group, these these house churches um, that are hearing this letter being read aloud are treating each other and understanding their own worth. This is about belonging. And so um, to say that, that this crucified Jewish Messiah somehow makes all of these people equally children of God is a powerful um, and large-minded thing to say. And it's helpful for us too, uh, but at the same time, and Paul recognizes this because he elaborates further, uh, it, it's not enough. I mean, for us, we, we, we know um, whether, we're, whether we're parents or whether we are children of parents or caregivers, uh, that uh, our parents and we are imperfect. And that as much love and concern and care we can give to our children or that was given to us, we still pass down things to each other. We pass down generational shames and critical spirits that leave us all in the place where we still have a problem with belonging and feeling like we belong on a very deep spiritual level. And so Paul moves on and he continues here and he he brings even more specific and charged language into this. In verse 15, he says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so, you know, um, slavery is, is always, um, when you bring that into religious language, there's so many feels and so many thoughts, especially for me, somebody who identifies as black um, and, can, you know, has ancestors who, who um, were enslaved in this country and with all the things going on right now. And um, those are important and we talk about those things, but also it's, it's very important for us to understand what it meant to Paul and to his listeners because it meant something different than it meant to us today. Uh, even though we can really relate to where, what, what happens here. So um, there's, a, there's a scholar named Scott McKnight, and he just, he just recently wrote a book on the Book of Romans and how he, how he started at the end of the letter and, and read it backwards. And, uh, and that gave him this different theological perspective about it. And uh, Scott McKnight is very respected, very um, good theologian, very deep thinker, um, and he's, he's part of the Anglican Church as well. Um, and here's some of the things he thinks is important about the context of this letter. He says it's probably written to five different house churches in Rome and that the listeners to this letter were mostly slaves. Most of them were slaves. That uh, when we look, and he's getting all this from what's in the letter itself, that there's a lot of female leaders in these churches. Uh, In fact, the reader of the letter, the one who would have been going from house church to house church and reading Paul's letter aloud um, was a woman, and her name was Phoebe, and she would have read the letter, answered questions, gave anecdotal um, explanations and things like that when people had questions, got confused and things like that. Um, He says there's probably about a hundred mostly poor people. And so this is is really important when he's bringing in this language. So um, you know, slavery in ancient Rome during this time in the in the first century, um, it it looked a, a particular way. So slaves were were could be any number of people. It could be people who were sailors who were who were captured by pirates and sold as slaves. Could be people who uh, were whose parents were Roman citizens, but who fell into financial hardship and they and they actually sold their children. Um, to keep their standing and to keep themselves financially secure, could be conquered people, um, and and some of those uh, are are Jewish folks, um, and there was, you know, may, there were there were some Jewish Jewish folks who were also uh, Roman citizens and, and were free. And, and there were really, this is, this is important. I'm not going to linger here but for one more minute. But this is important that there were different categories of slave and free. So um, there were slaves, and they worked uh, without payment. And a lot of times, they could get set free. But they also had no legal rights. And they could be killed by their owners with no legal recourse. They had no protection under the law. But then you could be informally set free. So you weren't owned by anyone but you weren't protected under the law. And then there was formally freed people, and the formally freed people could experience this thing called adoption. And um, the main purpose in Roman culture for adoption was not not like what it is today, at least on, on the surface. It was um, if you didn't have a male heir to inherit uh, your land your standing as a noble or a Roman citizen, you could adopt, and it didn't matter if they were a kid or grown or even if they were older than you or not, or younger than you or not, you could adopt a male who had qualities that you wanted for your family um, in order to um, maintain your status. But the hearers of this letter, just imagine, there's... Freed people, there's slaves, there's Jews, and there's Gentiles. And what they're hearing Paul say is he's saying there is a spiritual transformation that is taking place in this community under Jesus because, because he says that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship so he's telling this group these groups of mostly slaves that in the eyes of God and in your community the church community that you are in you have all the rights and legal standings of somebody that is in the highest socio-economic uh, hierarchical ladder in the society that you live in that you are a child of God that you have the full rights and privileges of all that humanity has to offer this uh, this would have been uncomfortable in that room because there would have been people that said man I worked hard to earn my freedom Uh i paid a lot of money to become a roman citizen once i was in informally free or do you know my bloodline sir do you realize like what a big deal my family is and you're saying that this slave is the same as me you see in in this uh western world um there was There was very little understanding of a religion or a spiritual reality that did anything other than mirror the reality that people saw in front of them. So the people with the highest spiritual privilege and grace and ability to do what they wanted were the people with the highest political and social power. There was no distinction. And this is not unlike how um, many swaths of evangelical, self-proclaimed evangelicals define uh, uh, authority here right now in, uh, with our current president, with Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and these, these types of things. And uh, inversely with some other Christians and, and the Democrats. Um, but uh, this... Um, this idea that Paul is putting forth here, that you, when you join this family, when you become aware of the reality here, it's not unlike being adopted into the full privileges. And, and so, um, you know, sometimes when a society is used to oppression— uh, equality can feel like oppression to the people who have privilege. And so, uh, you know, that's like saying Black Lives Matter and, and people feeling threatened by that. Um, it's not seeking to devalue the, the ones with the privilege, the Roman status. It's to elevate those without that status. And that's, that's what Paul's saying right here. Not a spirit uh, of slavery to make you fall and live in fear again but the spirit you received brought about your adoption as sonship. And so this would be uh and this was and is today a radical a radical message of belonging. Because um if we continue here um and I, you know I there's there's uh, as I got into this passage I I got I got into it, and there's so much that I'd, I'd love to share with you uh, that we just don't have time because I'm I'm wrapping up here in a, in a moment. We are doing a Zoom session afterwards, so if anybody wants to talk more, ask more questions, we can do that as well. We'll do the do the Zoom session afterwards. But um, I, I'm just gonna move forward here in these next couple of verses. You know, he 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 continues here, and he says this. He says um. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So, Daddy, in 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 the the Jewish uh, vernacular, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So, um. Here, he continues and and he brings out this this sort of hope for a, a new reality and a new way of seeing things because he introduces another voice because so much of belonging, as we talked about in the beginning, has to do with the voices that have formed us and shaped us, and said you've got to do this, that, and the other to belong, and you don't really belong, and these types of things. And in verse 16 he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So not only is he encouraging and saying we have an obligation to treat each other this way in the first verse there, 12, he's also saying you have an opportunity to hear from a greater spirit that can testify to this reality within you. And that, that's a hopeful thing. That's a hopeful thing that there is a means of transformation beyond what I could do or manipulate In my sense of belonging and that that primary primarily has to do with what I'm hearing what I'm believing about myself not what other people can do for me to make me belong so it's a it's a push and pull and there's a suffering that he talks about throughout this passage and also a hope a hope for a deeper sense of belonging that that Paul is writing uh, towards here and wants his listeners to understand. And so I'll just, I'll just finish, finish up here uh, reading the last couple of verses uh, because as he's talking about this adoption, this sonship, and, and how it's a present reality but also something that we, we're looking forward to fully being able to embrace and understand and live out of, he says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. So my friend Chris, he, he couldn't make me belong. He couldn't, he couldn't leave me with that forever, even though it was an important contribution in Christ City, we have this vision to be able to belong, um, but we're not. There's no way we're going to make that happen uh, completely and fully. And um, we, it's a vision that we'll be striving for and hoping and longing for, as Paul says here. Um, it must be revealed in us, testified t- to us through the Spirit of God, and in the midst of that, we struggle to try to see it happen more and more as a prophetic testimony, as a community that uh, testifies to the workings of God in this world. So um, thank you guys. I know we went a little longer uh, today with um, our uh, important time with Rachel and the, all the announcements and and the sermon. I hope that you were able to stay uh, with us and that you felt uh, some nourishment and some spark of of, um, desire to explore this issue of belonging in the scriptures more and, and, and ask for help, um, to, uh, move towards, uh, this type of reality. And we love you, Christ City. Hope to see, uh, many of you on the Zoom discussion, uh, afterwards and get a chance to visit, visit with each other. And, um, until, until next time and until we can see one another Again, face-to-face, this is Jamin Carter signing off.